T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Pardon me, got a false start already. It is 614 and a half on this foggy Tuesday morning. And when I was driving in at about 4.30, it was terrible, where you would lose sight of the car in front of you from the Crescent City Connection. You couldn't see anything, downtown, nothing. So do be careful. Highs of 78 today. It was hot yesterday. It wasn't warm to me. It was hot. 20% chance for showers. Then a cool front comes through. Thankfully, tomorrow, much cooler, drier. Highs of 58. 70% chance for showers on Thursday, and the temperatures fall throughout the day as another front comes through. Sunshine, highs of 56 on Friday. Saturday looking really nice, 59 for a high, plenty of sunshine. And then plenty of sunshine on Sunday, highs of 66, Monday too. So if you got some vacation time, make it a three-day weekend. Peter Scharf joins us now, adjunct professor, criminologist at LSU Health New Orleans School of Medicine, Dr. Peter Scharf. Good morning, Peter. How are you? Good morning, Tommy. How are you? Okay. Uh, um, uh, go ahead. Oh, the... The Memphis TD Scorpion Squad was a wake-up for all of us. Yeah, it really was. Um, An interesting conversation. I'll remind people at this point, although I hope they continue to listen to us, but you can download the Odyssey app and use the Rewind feature to listen to the conversation Newell had with Ronald Serpash yesterday, or you can always download the podcast or listen to the podcast at WWL.com and right now listen to Peter and I as we talk about this. But... It seemed as though the consensus of those two former police chiefs, Newell was a sheriff, but in essence a police chief, um, was that a lot of it goes down to supervision and training, that you can't necessarily um, besmirch the, the proactive policing itself, but the way it's carried out. Your thoughts on that, Peter? I, well, I'm close with both of them, and I, and I agree. You know, and you can't let these... Uh, uh, takedown squads uh, go over, Take over themselves. You know, yeah. And and remember, these are young folks, you know, full of adrenaline and the male side, testosterone. And I, I was in one of those units in Newark. And it was I told people it was the best job I ever had, you know, because you're moving, you're proactive, you feel you're making progress. But there are all kinds of risks, as the Memphis PD uh, case uh, showed. And, you know, you, you really need to monitor this tactic and make sure that uh, more good than harm is achieved, which is often difficult to, to, to happen. And, and you, know, you know, you go back to the Dirty, Dirty Harry movies as an example. Mm-hmm. These units tend to see themselves as outside the mainstream of the police department, you know, 
why are they bothering us, you know, when we're doing good things? With constitutional laws and those kind of the deals? Yeah. Learn rules, regulations. Don't worry about that. Well, what does you history know, show, and, Peter, and before, we get, before we get into that, what does history show about these units? Do they have a unit, uh, do they have a history, rather, of problems? How far do they go back? Do they have a history of successes? Well, you the, the, the poster child of, uh, you know, the wild children gone wild was the stress team in, in, in Detroit. Mm-hmm. I think they killed 25 people, as oh, I remember it. And uh, it's in my book, but the uh, you know you know and they they just took over basically, and you know we we have to remember we have the tiger team they all start the same way as Scorpion did in Memphis. Mm-hmm. This is great. We're going to cure crime tomorrow, and uh, the mayor just thought this was the greatest thing since Domino's Pizza, and you know it it, it doesn't end up that way often. So we we got lucky with the Tiger team, uh, Chief Noel now in Knoxville, great chief. He instituted it, but they had very good, very strong controls. But they were they were also criticized, you know, and they're very difficult activities and units to supervise. But um, you know, again, I, th- I think we we all want the quick cure, uh, murder penicillin, mm-hmm. right? And and this is one of the tactics that's believed to be a cure. I think it's better seen as a component of a broader strategy. I want you to talk, Peter, when we come back about the occupational culture of these units, a piece that you sent me that I'm looking at here reading, and it it really does kind of give you an inside factor, uh, an inside look into one of these units and what can go wrong or the mindset that can take place, and, and I guess you would know having been embedded with one in Newark. We're talking to Dr. Peter Scharf, adjunct professor and criminologist at LSU Health New Orleans School of Medicine. Proactive policing, yeah, that's what uh, Picardo and Casbon and Linda are pushing, but how do you keep the cops from becoming the bad guys? And if you look at the Tyree Nichols case, they, they were definitely the bad guys, and they just beat the man to death, and, and you just wonder how in the world that can happen with um, cameras on them and, and cameras all, not only on them but all over the place. And you would think that um, you would think that, that somehow some kind of common sense or something would kick in, but I think if it goes to training, just as you can get trained to do the right thing, maybe you get used to doing the wrong thing so long that something like that can happen. We'll talk more when we come back. 6.20, time for traffic now on WWL. 625 and a half, Tommy Tucker, WWL, talking about crime with Peter Scharf, as we normally do every Tuesday morning, adjunct professor criminologist at LSU Health New Orleans School of Medicine. Since we spoke last week, six people murdered in New Orleans, uh, maybe another one last night, I don't know, that's uh, the latest numbers that I can find. And we're talking about proactive policing and the occupational culture of some of those units that I guess results in a mixed bag of results, Peter? You already mentioned yeah, that's fair. That's really fair. There's some good things that have happened. You know, the Tiger team, you know, Paul and the West OL now in Knoxville set that up and did really well. They were they were very surgical in their tactical approaches. And so you have units that are well supervised, well managed, though at the end of the the reign of, of the Tiger team they ran into the ethical challenges, let's say. Uh, and it's, it's very difficult to avoid. 
But, you know, the, the things that happen, one, you know, you think of uh, Dirty Harry, the movie, my favorite movie, I don't know if it's yours, mm. uh, you know, and there's sort of that kind of Dirty Harry ideology, you know, we're out fighting crime, you know, the, the rest of the department are a bunch of wimps, right? Mm. And it's sort of an exceptionalism that can be very dangerous in some way. And these units are very cohesive. You know, they're, they're a tribe. So the, uh, you know, they, they, they have kind of groupthink. Uh, and that's difficult to avoid and very difficult to manage. Well, what does that mean, Peter? You, you say groupthink. Some people may not know what that means. Well, it's, you know, we're, we're part of this team. Our team is called Target Red. We know what's right, and we're going to do what we need to do. And that's dangerous, you know. I can't believe I, you know, was even knew these guys. Uh, so one thinks for the, all, and all think for one. Yep. Okay. Yep. We're 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 the tribe, and often against the administration. You know, uh, you know, uh, you know. I, I went with one guy. I remember to the uh, a district commander in Newark, and he said. Uh, you know, he he would call the other people the college, and the rest I can't say on the radio. Mm. Uh, you know, yeah, that's where the college and something else uh, hang out. You know, see, we we saw ourselves as very different mm. from the rest of the command, and I think that's kind of common of the uh, proactive units I, I've studied over the years. Do they tend to jump to violence them. pretty quickly? Well, or force, we, maybe I should use not know, violence. The other argument, there's an argument that these are the brain surgeons of police, and they know how to approach. Like uh, when we, uh, you know, stop someone on the sidewalk, if they didn't get them in the car in 12 seconds, they'd be depressed for a week. They were <laughs> the sort of brain surgeons of policing. So there's an argument that these units are actually safer in terms of apprehensions that uh, then, then street officers, patrol officers, are not used to that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, um, you know, I think I think the uh, somebody wants to describe it this way. These, this is a group of individuals that have most of the arrests, take most of the criminals off the street, have most of the complaints and most of the abuse complaints regarding uh, force. You know, and that's the truth of it. You know that they're, you know, high gain, high risk. And I think what the mature police chiefs need to do is sort of weigh their use. They burn these units out very quickly. You know, you see early retirements, injuries, those kind of things. So it's a, uh, as you see, you said it really well, it's a, a mixed bag and something that uh, Michelle Woodfork and the police department needs to weigh very, very carefully, I think. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, Peter, we'll talk about how how can you make one of these things work? Can you have good outcomes with proactive policing? Can you not lose control of the unit? I I would think it's kind of like strain off the path. You better get them back on path pretty quickly. And also the consent decree, where does that fit into this? And can you have proactive policing with a consent decree, because what we saw in Memphis, and I heard Newell say this yesterday, and I agree, that was just criminal behavior. Those were murderers, and and you can't do that, obviously, right? 6.30, time for WWL First News. For that, we go to Ian Ozan. All right, 6.42, 18 before 7, Tommy Tucker, WWL. They are 
uh, down in one lane on the causeway heading southbound, and that's a 35-mile-an-hour speed limit, and they will, the causeway police, drive down the left lane and give you a ticket if you're going faster than that. So just do 35, be safe, and you'll get to where you're going. Um, we're talking to Peter Scharf, adjunct professor and criminologist at LSU Health New Orleans School of Medicine about proactive policing units. And, Peter, when you come to, when it comes to the, the Scorpion Union in Memphis, and, and I understand you know, the, the, the consent decree and constitutional policing and so forth. But at some point, you got to realize this is way, somebody's got to realize this is just way out of line. You can't beat a man to death. You can't do it. So I, I don't understand how, th- that just seems to me to be such, so way out there. Is that the exception or the norm? And how do you reach a balance? Because, no, no, go ahead. First of all, there's, uh, there's a prevention tool law enforcement uses called the sergeant. So the first-line supervisor is the policeman of these units, of, of these activities. So they're the folks who say, back off or whatever. The other thing that happened in this case that makes this pretty problematic is uh, Nichols went mobile. Going mobile is, uh, you know, the equivalent on the radio of saying obscenity. You don't do that. You mean running away? happen. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So when they go mobile, everybody goes on hyper hyperventilated kind of uh, attention. So, and that's where the training really you need a very dynamic kind of training for all contingencies, and the supervisors are the ones who need to control the stuff. They need to say now, back off, stop it, you know. And you know, so the question I'd ask is not. The well, the police chief has minimal control, but you know where was the supervisor? Was there a supervisor uh, keeping control of the scene? And that's you know, you know that's a critical element I think in all police departments and here too. You know, sort of you know when you go, this is rough stuff. What they were trying to do. I'm taking a, you know, taking a, a mobile uh, person that doesn't want to comply. Is difficult. Let's be real. You know, so you need to uh, have very clear discipline. Training is important, but more important, I think, is the supervision of the unit, the tactical supervision. And that's, I think, uh, the thing. They, they were, they were, in Newark, there was a guy, uh, Georgie Litwin, in, in, in the unit I was assigned to by the Justice Department. And he had 6,000 arrests and never fired his gun. And he did do it through humor, uh, face-to-face contact. He just said, hey, uh, I've got a 38, you've got a 44. Hey, uh, let's work this out, you know, and get the guy laughing, you know. So the interpersonal skills and tactical skills are very important in, in avoiding the Scorpion unit. Again, you know, we have the Tiger team, they have the Scorpion team. They all start with great expectations and then reality sets in at some point. Uh, and I, I knew the Tiger team pretty well. There was artist Charlie in the unit. They were, they were very skilled. And I think Paul Noel did a very good job of supervising them. In the absence of supervision, all bets are off. I um, heard Ronald Serpash yesterday say something about the difference between zero tolerance and targeting crime areas where one is you know who the bad guys are, if I got this right, and you seek them out as opposed to seeking claim to an area and saying we will not have anything happen in this area. 
I, I would imagine, Peter, that some law and order folks, and I'm a law and order guy, as are you, would say, yeah, sometimes, well, let me rephrase that. Some people say, you know, well, the police have to crack some heads if they're going to maintain law and order, which is fine as long as it's not your head that's getting cracked. Um, how, how do you have an effective, proactive police unit, but yet keep that mentality out of it? And I'm talking about from the supervisor's standpoint, from the sergeant's standpoint, whoever is in charge of it. You know, that's a great question. You know, the um, I talked to a couple of chiefs yesterday, yesterday, and I was with Eddie Compass most of the day talking just about this, these kind of questions. Mm-hmm. And I advised this one uh, police chief, uh, yeah, you want to protect the store, storefronts and you want to keep your perimeter all at, but you do not want to shoot a minority kid because if you do, all bets are off. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I said, you know, think about Robidoux. You know, you look at the history of civil disorder response, and I've written quite a bit about that. People can read it, they care. And Crown Heights and other, other riots. You know, the key are civil disorders, let's say. And, you know, the, the fixed territory strategies are dangerous, I think. You know, and they force the cops in these binds that they don't want to be in and the citizen doesn't want to be in and the city doesn't want to be in because they're going to pay an enormous amount of liability costs. I'm looking at this thing from the Department of Justice that you sent me. Um, The citizens most likely to be involved in violent encounters are black or Hispanic males between the ages of 16 and 30 because these persons commit more assaultive crimes than any other population group and are much more likely to be armed than are their white counterparts. In addition, respect for police is low in minority communities generally. So here we go. You got two people um, involved in a confrontation. One of them, at least you know, has a gun. The tensions are high. How can you be an effective, proactive unit and diffuse that all at the same time? Wow. I'm going to make you chief, Tommy. <laughs> Uh, I don't have any answers. I'm just asking questions. Uh, yeah, no, no, it's a great question. It's really a great question. I think I think that, uh, I, I mean, my view, and I may differ, I, I wrote Ronnie three times. We share students, uh, Ronnie Service, mm-hmm. yesterday three times, and I defer to him in, in many ways. Um, I, th- I, th- I think the I put a greater premium on the interpersonal skills of the officer, even in the midst of these units. And they they need to be aware. Here, this person's cornered, and you know they're a little paranoid, and they may be armed. You know, how do we get out of this? And I think policing is much more of a pragmatic art than I think people realize. The the key the key is coming home in the, in the morning. Sure. And, uh, you know, and, and I, I feel for... The, you know what, Peter, let me just stop you for a second there, because I think that's a very cogent point that you made. For us, if we have a bad day, we go home frustrated. If the police have a bad day, maybe they go to jail or maybe they're dead. Accurate? Exactly right. Exactly right. And these punitive approaches towards these, you know, first of all, let's figure out what happened. And, you know, I think the, the piece I sent you on police citizen violent encounter or badge and bullet in my book, I think they start on thinking through all the things that can go wrong. 
and how organizations can actually make these things more likely, let's say by uh, punishing uh, cops for certain for things like the guy went mobile, all right? But, but the key is safety, I think. You know, and, and being proactive, yes, but also not jeopardizing the lives of these police officers. And when, uh, you know, folks, for a variety of reasons, they, they want to send these cops to jail. First of all, that's going to really help New Orleans' recruiting problems. You know, seriously, mm-hmm. think about that. So you're going to send these cops to jail. So who would want to put themselves in that situation? No one I know. I bet you wouldn't, and I wouldn't. No, let me take a break, and that brings up something else. So when we come back, Peter, we'll wrap it up. Can something be done about violent crime in New Orleans without proactive policing? And the other thing is, when you start putting officers in jail, and I'm not saying that they shouldn't go to jail in Memphis, but then, and you start painting all police officers with the same brush, then less are likely to want to become police officers, which means the pool of candidates from which you can choose shrinks, and you get less quality, less quality, more problems, less quality, a downward spiral. Time for traffic, 651 WWL. Yeah, call it 656, 4 till 7. Back with Peter Sharp. I'm Tommy Tucker, WWL. Peter, adjunct professor, criminologist at LSU Health New Orleans School of Medicine. So can New Orleans crack down on violent crime, stop the murders without proactive policing, and can proactive policing be done without any abuses or without it getting out of hand and heads getting cracked. And again, I'm getting some texts from people and they're all for the police cracking heads. But I would say the only difference is, Peter, once their head is cracked, then they might see it differently. Well, you know, the other thing is, look, it's risk, risk. Let's be real. Okay. We had, we had 280 homicides, 265 murders in the city. So it's not like everybody's living in La La Land until the police showed up, right? So you have to be really think this through, which you're doing, by the way. Um, the other thing is the law. You know, of the five cops, uh, and I, I'm gonna, I do a lot of expert witnessing in this force area, and the standard is Graham versus Connor, which says what is reasonable given the totality of the circumstances. We're all five um of the officers outside of Graham versus Connor. And you really need to do the analysis. So to start, you know, and the optics are terrible. I understand that, I get that. And people are outraged. But if you look at it through the constitutional standard, yeah, you may or may not have a different answer. I suspect they were outside of Graham versus Connor, the constitutional standard involving excessive force. But, you know, you really need to really know what happened and then these what scared me most about this kind of thing is not the bad guys but the other officers you get one uh dirty harry kind of person right clooney's what kind of person not the actor but the character uh and and they're going to kick butt and you're in the midst of these five people and he's kicking butt and this is, you know, where the police culture of loyalty, code of silence, all these things come in. And you really need to investigate this very, very carefully so you know exactly what happened and what was the role of all five officers. You can't indict, but well, they did indict him. 
each one of them. But, but the defense attorneys, they're going to raise the issue, was my guy an active participant or were they just part of the group? And, that, and, and, and you, need a, you need good law, good judges, good, uh, good prosecutors to really get this clear. So can violent crime be abated in New Orleans without proactive policing? I think it's very difficult, you know, and again, it's the nature of, you know, we have these pockets, you know, the hotspots, they call it hotspot policing is another name for proactive. And you have these hotspots that are infiltrated with crime. And unless you really target those areas, I'm not sure how through routine patrol or even prevention it gets done. And uh, my colleagues in the Crime Coalition may disagree. Thank you, Peter. Interesting hour. I appreciate your time. Peter Scharf, adjunct professor, criminologist at LSU Health New Orleans School of Medicine. When we come back, let me pose this question to you. Your student is getting, your son or daughter is getting A-plus, honor roll, dean's list, all kinds of scholarship offers and everything else. But guess what? They're using artificial intelligence to get those grades and not doing the work themselves. Are you okay with that or not? Seriously, think about it. Turnkey. All A's, you don't have to do anything. Maybe they're learning something, maybe they're not. Text me, 504-260-1870. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.